Thank you for listening to the Victory Church online podcast. We are so excited that you joined us for today's message by Senior Pastor Gary Hart from Victory Church in Great Falls, Montana. Our prayer is that today's message will inspire you to join us in changing the world by helping people find and follow Jesus. Now here's Pastor Gary. All right. Well, if you uh, have not been along with us on this journey, uh, we're basically in a series of messages that we've entitled Winning This Christmas. And we've been looking at the Christmas story through the perspective of angelic visits to different people throughout the Christmas story. Uh, We actually saw four opportunities where an angel showed up and visited someone in the Christmas story. And they typically started their conversation with these four words. If you remember the four words, say them with me. Come on. Oh, boy, you've really gained a lot of wisdom in this series. All right. So do not be afraid, right? And so um, we've been looking at this. So to help you win this Christmas, we're helping you to overcome the spirit of fear in your life. All right. Uh, The first week we talked about the angel's visit to Mary and how that Mary had to overcome the fear of obeying God. And when God speaks to us, wants us to do something, there's a there's an oftentimes a fear associated with obeying God. We dealt with how do we obey God even though fear is present. Then we saw where the angel appeared to Joseph. And Joseph had to overcome the fear of what other people thought about him. Right? And sometimes fear of man can keep us from fulfilling God's plan and purpose in our lives. So we need to know how to care more about what God thinks and less about what people think. Come on, somebody. Right? So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, a third visitation of the angels. We're going to talk about how the angels appeared to a group of lowly shepherds who are keeping watch over their flock by night. And uh, we're going to talk about the fear, overcoming the fear of measuring up. The fear of measuring up. See, for those of us who... Um, our followers of Christ, we, we believe that this life is not all that there is, that there is something more to come. Uh, if we were honest in our journey uh, of this thing called following Jesus, we would all, maybe silently, but some of us would be willing to admit that there are times when we wonder, do I measure up? Does, does God accept me? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? And what if I were to meet God? What if I were to stand before him? Would I be good enough for God? And we, we, we deal with that. And there's a little bit of a fear in our life that maybe we don't fully measure up. And um, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, um, there was in my life at that particular time, there was this a little bit of fear that I, I lived with in my life that I was, I was not good enough for God. And um, maybe, maybe it came out of a prayer that my parents taught me when I was young. And I don't know if your parents taught you this prayer when you were young, but um, it was kind of popular in my day. And so uh, your parents would walk into your room. They'd kneel down beside their four-year-old Johnny. And they'd say, okay, Johnny, it's time for our bedtime prayers. Repeat after me. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. 
If I should die before I wake, <laughs> Lord, my soul to take. Uh, yeah, don't let the bed bugs bite. Come on. And uh, it's like, what kind of a sadistic prayer is that, right? It's like you're teaching your, if I should die before I wake, please, oh, Lord, my soul, I could die. And so, you know, you go to bed, your mom and dad says, sweet dreams, right? And you go to bed thinking, I could die. I could die. I'd wake up and I'd, I'm dead. I'm in, with God, right? And so you have this, this fear, you know, what would happen if I were to die? And in my teenage years, I kind of grew up in a, a very strict uh, Pentecostal background. And so back in, in my teenage years, we had what was known as Sunday night church. How many of you remember Sunday night church? And, and there was something unique about Sunday night church, right? Because Sunday night church, there just seemed to be a little bit more conviction at Sunday night church. I, I don't know if you experienced this or not, uh, but maybe it was because it seemed like on Sunday night they were always preaching about the, the soon and imminent return of Jesus, right? Were you ready to meet the Lord, right? And uh, you needed to have every sin out of your life. And, and there was a song that they, 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 they sang back then by Larry Norman. You remember this? I wish we'd all been ready. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. The children died. The streets grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. See, I see your lips moving. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. And we, So I, I'd spend lots of time at the altar <laughs> on Sunday nights just getting getting my, my, my prayer requests out and getting repentance of every sin that I could think of and even the stuff I hadn't thought of because I wanted to make sure that if Jesus came back, I would be all right. <clears throat> well, today we're going to look at this story of the angels appearing to these shepherds. And I think that as we dig into the stories a little bit, that for many of you here today, you can walk away from here free from the fear of measuring up. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2. We're going to take a look at verses uh, number 8 through 11, and uh, then we'll kind of break it down. We'll, we'll walk through this just a little bit. Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, so what did he say? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Our word gospel literally means good news. I bring you good news that will, be, will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, what is the good news? A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, many people would ask, um, what is this good news that the angels are talking about? I mean, if there was a Savior that was born, what in the world do we need to be saved from? What do we need a Savior for? And a lot of people that are out there in the world today, those who have no relationship with Christ, that question probably is on the forefront of their mind. I mean, if Jesus, he's the Savior, what, what do we need to be saved from? And we're going we're gonna to get to that in just a few moments. But, you know, at the time of Jesus, 
um, it was kind of uh, typical that if you were a family that had the, the appropriate financial provision, that when a, a child was born, you would hire a herald, not an H-A-R-O-L-D, an H-E-R-A-L-D, to herald or announce the birth of your child, especially if the child that was born was a boy. Because a boy really demonstrated the pleasure and the blessing of God upon your family and, and the continuation of the family heritage. And, and so that's really what God does here. God doesn't hire a herald. He has one. It's called an angel, Gabriel, and he sends him to a group of shepherds and declares to them that a Christ child has been born. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment because it's interesting to whom God heralds the birth of the Messiah. I mean, just think about it. If it were you or me, and we were God, who would you send the angel to? Right? I'd probably send him to some of the government leaders, kings, you know, let them know, hey, there's a new king in town. Right? I'd have sent him to the religious leaders, maybe the prophets, so that they could declare, uh, hey, the, the Messiah has come. But God doesn't do that. God sends the angel to a group of shepherds who are watching their sheep in a field. See, what many of us don't understand, though, is that shepherds were at that particular time one of the most disrespected people groups on the planet. They were a despised group. They were thought to be a very low class of individual. The job of the shepherd was so low that a father, if he had sheep in his household, would delegate that responsibility to the youngest son, the most, the, the, the least removed from the, the kingpin, the firstborn. You remember the story of David, right? Jesse or Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel and he comes to Jesse's house. He says, I'm here to anoint one of your sons to be king. And so Jesse brings his boys out. And Samuel goes through every one of them. And none of them was the one God had chosen. Samuel turns to Jesse, you got any others? He goes, well, I got a runt who's watching sheep. And I didn't even feel like he was worthy enough to come. It was a very disrespected group. It was oftentimes more reserved for slaves. If you could afford to have slaves watch over your sheep, and there was no chance really of advancement in this particular field. And in fact, according to the religious system of that day, shepherds were always rejected by religious circles. Religious leaders taught that shepherds were not good enough for God, that they could not be made right with God. And in fact, shepherds could not live up to the religious expectations or rules of the day. And isn't it interesting today that we oftentimes can do the same thing to people? Oh, we may not say it with our minds or, our, or with our mouths. We may show it with our attitude and our actions that we would indicate that there are certain groups of people that we would categorize as unreachable. Wow. 
And so it's no wonder that the shepherds always worried about and lived in fear of where they stood with the Lord. They felt very distant from God. There are a number of reasons why they may have felt distant. I'm going to share three of these ideas with you today, and maybe you can find yourself in one of these reasons why oftentimes we feel distant from God. All right? If you're taking notes today, here's the first one. The first reason why the shepherds may have felt distant from God was that they felt very unworthy. They felt unworthy even to approach God. Many of us here today may feel that way. They were outcasts in Israel. And like I said, they were taught specifically, you're not good enough for God. As you can imagine, the shepherds did what? They hung out with sheep. So how do you think they smelled? (laughs) I just about said by the, smelled just like the bottom of Rob's boots, right? Um, It wasn't good. There was no place in that day where they could go and just get a quick shower. Come on, head to the temple. And so they were filthy. They were, they were a dirty people because they, they hung out in the fields. And more so than that, they were considered spiritually dirty because they couldn't keep up with the religious laws of the day. In fact, they were, they were the, the type, not only were they physically dirty, and they, they were considered spiritually dirty so that the religious leaders would say, you can't even touch a shepherd because if you touch a shepherd, you become unclean, and then you can't even go into worship. You can't even go into the temple. They, you, can, you can only imagine how unworthy they must have felt. Because of their position in life, they were, they were not able to fulfill the religious requirements of the day. That added to their unworthiness. They just didn't measure up. And the reality reality is that many of us can feel this way. Because we come into church and we try to put on our church face. But we know the bad things we've done. We know what's gone on this week. We we know what we've experienced. If if these people knew... (laughs) What I did this week, if they knew the, the, the bad stuff that I've done that I wasn't supposed to do, or they know the good stuff that I was supposed to do that I haven't done, they would think less of me. How in the world would God love me? How could God receive me? No one could love someone like me. You come in, you look around, especially at Christmas time, everyone's looking so Christmassy. Come on. Like they look so pretty, they look so together, and I, I almost killed my child today on the way to church. <laughs> They're fighting in the back. My arm had just been a little bit longer. You move over there. You move over there. We're going to the church to worship God today, <laughs> right? And then you come in here and you go, oh man, I I just really blew it. I didn't set a good example for my kids, and I, I feel so unworthy because there's expectation that we sometimes put on ourselves or others put on us, and we can't measure up. The shepherds certainly felt unworthy. The second reason they may have felt distant from God, if you're taking notes, they felt very inadequate. 
They felt very inadequate. They were uneducated, so they never felt like they measured up in society. And it's amazing when we compare ourselves to others just how inadequate we can feel. Isn't this right? Ladies, you, you go into a friend's house, and their friend, your friend's house is immaculate. Smells like candles. Everything's in its place. Their child comes out and their hair is brushed beautifully. And then you go into your house. Smells like laundry. You don't know what kind of floor you have because you can't see it. You don't know what a brush is because you haven't seen one since 1987. Come on now. And you just feel so totally inadequate. And it's really easy to feel inadequate when you compare yourselves to others. Because there's always going to be people who are smarter than you. There's always going to be people who are prettier than you. There's always going to be people who are wealthier than you. And if we're not careful, what kind of, uh, you know, the, the comparison that we feel can make us feel totally inadequate as a person, as a spouse, as a parent, or even as an employee. And even worse, spiritually, when the shepherds compared themselves, they felt very inadequate. One of the big rules was you had to keep the Sabbath. That was a total day's rest. And the shepherds couldn't do this because sheep need constant tending. They need constant care. They couldn't take a Sabbath because who was going to watch the sheep? And so because of all their spiritual flaws, they, they felt inadequate. And sometimes we're like that. We look around at other people who seem so close to God. They've got a Bible verse for every situation. They know all the books of the Bible, and you didn't even know that was a book in the Bible. Right? Their prayers are so powerful. And the last prayer you can remember praying was, Man, I wish God would kill that person who took my parking spot at the mall. You know, that's a, that's a deep as your prayer life goes. Sometimes we compare ourselves to others. We feel inadequate. I'm so unspiritual. The shepherds felt this way. They felt very unworthy. They felt very, very inadequate. Thirdly, they felt very unloved. In reality, most of them were thieves. Those that weren't were thought to be thieves just because that was their DNA. They were not trusted, and people wanted to stay a far distance from them. In fact, they were so distrusted that shepherds were never allowed to give testimony in a court of law because you could not trust their word. They wanted to get married, but what father was going to entrust their daughter to a shepherd? Nobody wanted that. They were, they were low, they were filthy, they were uneducated. And they had no hopes of a better future. They felt incredibly unloved. The reality is so tragically, that's the way many people would feel today. Many of you here today may be in a situation where, for one reason or another, your dad left you when you were a child, walked out. You grew up without a father in the home, and in the back of your mind, you're wondering what was wrong with mom and I. What did we do wrong? Why, why didn't he love us enough to stay? 
You're feeling unloved today because someone walked out of your life. Maybe you're here today and you were married. And for one reason or another, your spouse came home one day and said, I don't love you anymore. And I want, to, I want out of this relationship. And you're, you're going, I, I did everything I knew to do. I, I thought I was doing everything right. But for some reason, they still left. And today, you may be feeling unloved. Maybe you're the person who, when you look in the mirror, you're not sure you even like the person on the other side. You're having a hard time wrapping your brain around a God who could love you because you don't even love yourself. Perception on a day like this in church is hard because you look around and it looks like everybody's got it all together. I mean, he's got it together. She's got it together. I mean, they look successful. And you don't even know what the issues the people around you may be dealing with. There could be someone who's sitting just three seats down from you, a single mom, who's about ready to cash it in because she feels so inadequate. She thinks, I can't do this. If it weren't for my children, I wish I wasn't here. I just can't seem to keep it together. Right in front of you, there may be a guy who's doing the best he can to worship God, but he feels like an utter and complete failure. He's on financially hard times, and he knows that his kids are going to go back to school, and their classmates are going to ask them, what did you get for Christmas? And the kids are going to want to lie because they really didn't get very much for Christmas. The dad wanted to get them more, but he just didn't have the means to buy them anymore. And he's feeling like he's failed. There's someone sitting right behind you that's single. And all their friends are married. <laughs> and they're wondering, what's wrong with me? Why won't anyone love me? I, I'm trying the best I can. I I'm, I'm trying to be the best Christian I possibly can be. Why is God keeping me from the joy of knowing marriage? Sitting right in your section, someone who looks incredibly successful. They probably have more money than you, have more things than you do, but inside they're carrying such an incredible weight and burden and so much pain they often don't feel like they have anyone close to them that they can open up to. Unworthy, inadequate, unloved. See, and the simple fact is, the bottom line, is that religion did not work for the shepherds. It did not make them, it made them feel more distant from God. Religion won't work for them, and religion won't work for us. Um, I know some of you may be thinking, well, aren't you a pastor? Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm saying. God didn't come to bring us religion. In fact, he came to bring us something that would free us from religion and give us something that was far, far better for us. 
You see, religion reduces Christianity down to rules, do's and don'ts. If I do the right thing, I feel better about myself. If I don't do the wrong thing, then I feel better about myself. I must be a good person because I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. Because I'm doing it all right, I got a holy air about me. I knew I smelled something. We have a tendency to look down on others because we think, man, I'm doing it right. And see, and that's the kind of behavior that Jesus was so adamant against. He said to the Pharisees, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you stink. The outside looks clean, but the inside is filthy, and that's where it really matters. You have missed the entire point. It's not just about looking good on the outside. Religion didn't work for the shepherds, and it won't work for us because Christianity was never meant to be a religion. It was meant to be a relationship with God. That's why God sent a person. That's why God sent Jesus, his son, and that's the good, good news. Well, if there is good news, if there is a Savior, then how do I apply that to my life today? Well, I want to I want to take a moment and just walk you through some of what I think are the clearest verses in the Bible written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and if you don't know who Paul was, Paul was basically a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He hated Christians. He went about arresting them and even having some of them killed. But when he met the love and the grace of God, he became one of the greatest followers of Christ in the history of the church. And here's what he said. We're going to look at Romans chapter number 3, verses 20 through 22. And uh, I just think this is one of the this is coming out of the New Living Translation. Right? We got that, Nancy? New Living? All right, here we go. He said this. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Because the law simply shows us how sinful we are. What has God done? Verse 21. But God now has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. What does that mean? Verse 22. We are made right with God not by observing the law, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Let's break this down. One, two, three. Come on, if you're taking notes, what's the good news? Number one, the good news is you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You can't. By being good, by trying to observe the commandments, you cannot Find God's acceptance by being good enough, by, by keeping the law. In the day of the shepherds, the Pharisees were attempting to keep 613 laws. Impossible. Right. And then in Christianity, we kind of whittled it down to 10. And most of us have a hard time keeping the 10. Jesus came along and made it real simple. He made it too. Love God, love people. And sometimes we have a hard time 
even obeying that. We, we, we can't. The Bible says we can't be made right with God by keeping the law. No one, no one can earn God's acceptance by observing the law. So you might ask the question, then why do we have the law? What, what is it even there for? And that's number two. This is the good news. What's the purpose of the law? Is to show you your need for a Savior. That's the entire purpose of the law. It's just to show you the need for the Savior. Look at it in verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Why is the law there? The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Think about it. What is the law there to do? It reveals our need for a Savior. Now, uh, just because it's uh, Christmas, uh, I just wanted to do this. I think this is really important that we all would get this idea today because one of the fundamental flaws in our thinking today as a people is that most people believe they are actually good. If I were to ask you, how many of you think you're basically a good person? Many of you, probably even most of you, would say, yeah, I'm generally a good person. I'm sure I know some bad people, and I'm not like them, so I'm, I'm probably a good person. But the simple fact is we're not talking about comparing ourselves to one another. We're talking about comparing ourselves to God's standard. And when we do that, we can clearly see none of us are good. And so just because it's Christmas... And I want you to see just how bad you really are. None of us deserves to be on Santa's nice list. I just want to help prove your badness. Only because it's Christmas. Come on. Isn't this, isn't this good? You're going to play along with me? All right, here we go. How many of you have ever told a lie? Can I see your hand? Yes. All right, now just, just take a moment. Turn, look around. See the people whose hands aren't raised. Look at them go, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because it's really fun to, to call people liar in church, right? All right? How many of you have ever stolen something? You ever stolen something? All right. I think everyone's stolen something. I, I've certainly done that. One last one, okay? How many of you would be willing to say you have ever been angry with someone without a cause? I mean, you're driving down the street... The person cuts in front of you, and you offer them the horn, a few choice words, or maybe a friendly hand gesture. How many of you have ever called someone an idiot? Well, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22, Jesus says, if you've called someone an idiot, you are a murderer. Okay, so if you've ever told a lie, what are you? You're a liar, right? If you've ever stolen something, you are a thief. If you've ever been angry with someone without a cause, you are a murderer. So basically, we're a church full of lying, thieving murderers. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Welcome to Victory Church. We hope you feel better about yourself, right? <clears throat> now, what's, what's the point in all of that? Well, it's simply this. Until you see yourself. As a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. And that's what the law was intended to do, to show us how truly bad we are so that we knew we needed a Savior. 
When you realize you need a Savior, you're going to recognize this. Religion can't save you. When you recognize I am a sinner, then you won't be looking for salvation through religion, but you'll be looking for salvation through a person. And 2,000 years ago, the Savior was born. Indeed, Christianity was never meant to be a religion, but a relationship with a loving God who sent His Son to reveal just how good He is. So what is the good news? The good news is this. You cannot be good enough for God by observing the law. So what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to show us our need for a Savior. And how are we made right with God? How can we ever be made right with Him? This is number three. The good news teaches us righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. Righteousness with God, right standing with God, comes by faith in Christ and in Christ alone. See, it's not in Christ plus religion. It's not in Christ plus church membership. It's not in Christ plus giving your tithes and offerings. It's not in Christ plus good works. It's Christ plus nothing. It's putting our faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Verse 22, very clear. We are made right with God by what? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. How are we made right with God? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And what does it next say? And this is true for no matter who we are. The angels appeared to the shepherds, the people that religion had rejected, and said, do not be afraid. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. How are we made right? By faith in Christ alone. You're not good enough for God on your own. None of us. Because of what the Son of God did for you on the cross by becoming sin for you, dying in your place, raising to new life, because of that, when you place your faith in Him, God no longer sees your sin, but He sees His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. You're clothed in His righteousness. He looks at you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Religion is all about God's, relationship is about God's perfect work and satisfying the debt of sin through Jesus. Religion's about what we do or don't do. Relationship is about what God did, his perfect work. If you wanted to spell religion, you could spell it D-O, do. If you want to spell relationship, you spell it done, D-O-N-E. In religion, I have to work hard, and if I work hard enough, I might please God. Relationship says, because I'm already accepted by God through Christ Jesus, I want to work hard. My life has changed. The shepherds felt like we do at times, unworthy, inadequate, and sometimes even unloved. 
But do not be afraid, for today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. No matter how bad you have been or how bad you've messed up or how alone you feel, I'll read it again one more time. Verse 22, we are made right with God, not by works, not by religion, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And that, my friends, is the good news. No matter who you are, a Savior has been born. He is the Christ, the Son of God. Thank you for listening to the Victory Church online podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more information about Victory Church or to give online, visit victorychurchgf.com. Have a blessed week.